Welcome to the Barnes and Thornburg Podcast Network. You are listening to Tribal Talks, a podcast devoted to the discussion of economic development efforts in Indian Country. To learn more, visit us online at btlaw.com. Barnes and Thornburg, uncommon firm, uncommon culture, uncommon value. Welcome to the first edition of Tribal Talk. My name is Erica Weiss, and I will be co-hosting this podcast with Deidre Mitchell from Wasayabet Development Company. We'd like to focus our podcast here on economic development in Indian country and want to give you a little bit of background on myself. I'm a descendant of the Little Traverse Bay Band of Odawa Indians in Petoskey, Michigan. And so as, as any Michigander does, that's located if you're looking at your hand, your right hand at the tip of the pinky up there. I'm an attorney at Barnes & Thornburg in their Grand Rapids office. We're a national firm and I practice in the Native American Law and Policy Group. As part of that practice group, I've spent the last four years of my practice working directly with tribes, both on the government side as well as uh, with economic development. Um, you know, I've done everything from helping put ordinances and laws in place to putting departmental and organizational structures in place and litigation on the economic development side, you know, setting up subsidiaries, mergers and acquisitions, um, assisting with employee issues and real estate transactions, and then working on credit facilities and debt transactions. Now I'd like to welcome my co-host, uh, Deidre Mitchell from Wasayabek Development Company. Deidre, you've been around Indian country for a long time, so why don't you give our listeners some insight into what you've been doing? Thank you, Erica. I'll uh, start with a little bit of background on myself. Uh, I have a biology degree, and in my uh, first 20 years of my career, I did environmental cleanup work, uh, working from the field and all the way up to program and project management. Uh, I uh, moved to Alaska with Jacobs Engineering to manage their formerly used defense sites. And while in Alaska, I became acquainted with Alaska Native corporations and started to work with them. At the time, we were a mentor to a protege, um, and that is a formal small business administration mentor-protege relationship. And so I started learning about tribes and some of the um, contracting um, advantages that they enjoy, especially in federal contracting. So um, I spent three years in Alaska and worked for several of the tribes or worked with them. And uh, then I moved back down to lower 48 and started consulting. So... I need to back up a little bit and say I have owned my own business for over 10 years. And um, during this whole time, like the first 25 years of my career, I uh, helped other people start businesses as well. So if you look at, uh, we say, a big development company, this is my 10th my startup. And so I think that's important to say because um, when you're entering in economic development in tribal country, there's that can mean many different things to different tribes. And so to have the background, uh, have a diverse background is pretty important. So um, in 2016, I joined Wasayabek Development Company, and they are the economic development arm of the Nautilusepi Huron Band of Katawadami here in Michigan. And uh, so we've been at it a little over three years and have uh, started growing our economic development division. Great. Thanks, Deidre. And I'm very excited to have you co-hosting this podcast with me. Um, just to give our audience a little overview of you know what we'll be talking about here, obviously a lot of your background, as we just talked about, relates to economic development in Indian country, which is really the purpose of why 
I called you and said, hey, let's let's do a podcast on this. As you're very well aware, you've sat on a number of panels the last couple of years focused specifically on economic development in Indian country. And and that's been well received. It's always a you know full room when you're talking. And so purpose of our podcast is to really dive deeper into some of those issues that you've talked about. How to set up an economic development company on behalf of your tribe strategic planning and what that looks like for any individual tribe. You spoke on a number of other issues that you share that we might get into in this podcast series. Yeah, we talk quite a bit about strategic planning. That's one of the major first steps when you're considering doing economic development. And I really have to applaud all the tribes out there doing that because diversifying your revenue streams is really important in this day and age. And I'd like to say that economic development doesn't mean the same thing to each tribe. Where we are purchasing and building businesses, another tribe may have a much richer base of natural resources that they want to explore utilizing for their economic development. Or it may mean building housing for another tribe. So it means many different things. So to your point of the strategic plan, you know, that's really important to start with. You and I talked quite a bit about the Harvard business model as well. Absolutely. And I think that is very important for any tribe considering economic development to read and understand. And I always, when I'm giving a presentation, I think the four takeaways from that, there's a lot of good information there, is that sovereignty matters, culture matters, and you must divide the politics, the tribal politics from the good business decisions. And then leadership and strategic planning, back to that, that matters, so... I know you've dealt a lot with sovereignty issues. Yeah, absolutely. And and just so for those of you who don't know, the, the Harvard business model came from the Harvard University Native American program in which they took some time to really look at economic development on Indian reservations and for American Indian tribes, what works, where, and why. As Deidre mentioned, what came out of that that project are those four pillars, the, the sovereignty matters, culture matters, separation. Certainly as an attorney, Deidre, as you mentioned, you know, I get into a lot of the sovereignty issues. One big thing that comes up a lot of times is the sovereign immunity issue. A lot of people think that that's what sovereignty is. Sovereignty is as sovereign nations, tribes have the right to be governed by their own laws, right? And so as part of that, it's it's putting in the ordinances and the laws on behalf of the tribe to be able to do what they want, you know, setting up limited liability company ordinances so that they can organize under tribal law. For example, marijuana is obviously a hot topic in Indian country right now. Setting up a regulatory structure within Indian country or within each individual's tribes to be able to say, hey, yeah, we're going to allow the sale, manufacture, growing of marijuana on our reservation. Those are all acts of sovereignty, right? And so then when we take it a little deeper into the sovereign immunity issues, sovereign immunity says, hey, unless a tribe itself says, okay, person or company, you can go ahead and sue me, and these are the circumstances under which you can do that. Or Congress says, under these circumstances, a tribe can be sued. A tribe is immune from from lawsuits. In business, that can make things a little tricky, right, Deidre, as you know? Yeah, it really is by being a sovereign nation, your choice to control that. Mm -hmm. And if you are going to do work with the federal government, you will be required to have a limited waiver of sovereign immunity. 
so that you can be tried in a court if there's some business problem. And that seems, it's very scary for tribes to talk about that. Absolutely. Um, so we can see now why starting your strategic planning first before you get into business is important because you really do need, as you said, to set up those governance pieces so that the um, sovereignty goes to a certain level um, and you can control that and you can use it to your benefit, but that it doesn't waive the tribe's sovereign immunity or, or anything else. So being careful to set up those structures is important and then being able to exercise that and know that it's your choice to do so and you can benefit from it. Absolutely. And I always tell my clients sovereign immunity a lot of times is viewed as a shield, right? But in reality, and especially in business, like things that you do, it can certainly be used as the spear too. And you're telling this partner that you're entering into a transaction with or this tenant that you're allowing to rent from you. Yes, we're going to open ourselves up to suit from you if, if we've done something wrong. Fingers crossed. That doesn't happen, obviously. But you're exercising your sovereignty and saying, yes, you can sue me. But you're also exercising it and saying, but you can only sue me in this court. You can only attach to these assets. Like you mentioned, you can't go up to the to the tribal level and say, oh, I can go after all of the tribal general fund, right, you know, yeah. to satisfy a judgment and things like that. But certainly, as you mentioned, you know, sovereignty is always at the forefront of a tribal economic development company. And and with that goes hand in hand, as you mentioned, the, the cultural interests that you have to think about when you're dealing with a tribal economic development company. You mentioned, obviously, that you are the CEO of Wasayabek for Nottawasepi Band of Huron. How does, how does the tribe's culture play into specifically what Wasayabek does and, and just Generally speaking, how should culture, how have you seen culture play into the way a, a tribal EDC does business? Yeah, there's a lot of components to culture. It's the tribal culture, and then it's the culture that you build within your businesses and how you operate and treat other businesses or people, your employees. But to start with the tribe, for example, one of the things that we have agreed on is we would not engage in any business that was harmful to the environment. That is just something that culturally they don't believe in. And so it's important to who stay in line with that. And then when you start talking about the internal culture of companies, we buy companies or develop companies on behalf of the tribe. And we have a seven generations model where we are, we're buying these companies to hold them and grow them. We're not a typical PE firm where we want to turn it over in three to five years and make a profit. We want to hold this company and support the communities that they're in and our tribal community by growing these businesses. So when we go in to do due diligence, when we're looking at purchasing a company, we not only look at the financial aspect and the legal aspect, but we also look at the cultural piece really closely. Because if you think about it, we're entering into a long-term relationship with this company and we want to make sure that we think alike, uh, we are aligned around the same things and that this is going to be a positive relationship going forward. So there's not only the tribal aspects of culture, but also the, the um, business function culture as well. Absolutely. So I, I want to touch on a couple of things. You said we a lot. We decided that we didn't want to work with any companies that went against the environment. And that really brings us to that third pillar under the Harvard business model, right, of strategic planning. So when you say we, you're talking about yourself, you're talking about the tribe, you're talking about the tribal members. What does that look like in figuring out what quote unquote we want to do going forward? Yeah, it's really important to have alignment between all the stakeholders when you form a strategic plan. 
And for me, and some, some tribes are organized differently, but for me, that means, say, a big development company, myself and the staff. It means our board of directors. So we have an independent board of directors for our economic development arm. And their job is to make good business decisions. That's what their job is, free from the political pressures uh, within the tribe. And then the board of directors is appointed by tribal council. Tribal council is all tribal members, and they are elected by membership. And so you see how the hierarchy starts with membership, then council, then the board, and then the staff at WDC. So I want to stress that strategic planning is absolutely critical, and it may take time. It took us about a year to get our strategic plan agreed upon. But if you think about you're operating for the next seven generations, that's a very short period of time to have everybody aligned and pulling in the same direction. And it really started, I had an idea in my head, and we hired a third party, DWH, to help us get the strategic plan on paper and build some financial models around that. Having that third party is beneficial, especially if you have misalignment between the stakeholders in the beginning. Because I think they offer a, a um, unique perspective as you're going through this. And, and hopefully these consultants that you use have adequate business background to understand what it is you know, they're putting in place. So um, it was really a lot of conversations with the board and the tribal council. And when I first got here, they had a list of businesses that they, they thought they wanted to get into. So it was really taking that list talking about how that, what that really looks like. Are we building companies? Are we buying companies? What is really our goal? And I say this takes a long time because there's multiple conversations that take place. And one that I can really remember was there was a kind of a push and a pull between different stakeholders. Are we here to do business or are we here to provide tribal members with jobs? And where we landed was we had to have good, healthy businesses first. And then tribal members will have a large choice of jobs to choose from. That was really important to get everybody to say out loud, okay, our first order of business is to have good, healthy, growing businesses because those will then provide safety and sustainability for tribal members in the private self. So getting everybody aligned and pulling in the same direction because a healthy business needs a long runway mm -hmm. uh, to build. Things. And so if you're changing direction every time you have an election to the tribal council or a new appointment to the board, um, that is going to derail your business efforts faster than anything. Right. And like you said, it's kind of a what comes first, right? The chicken or the egg. I mean, yes, we obviously want to be able to employ tribal members. Um, you know, that's a, a big, obviously every tribe is looking to, looking out for their members, right? And, right. and that's, that's a big thing that unemployment rates on tribal reservations are through the roof compared to the rest of the country. But yeah, how do you do that, right? Without first having an established business to be able to set up these types of companies to provide those job opportunities, right? Absolutely. And then on the flip side, how do you make sure that your members have adequate training and the skills that they need in order to be employed by those companies then? Yeah, for, for our tribe, we've made a clear distinction that if it's a jobs program or a training program, that that's handled by the tribal government. And the economic development company is tasked with developing healthy businesses. Now, with that said, we do have a leadership exploration and development program for tribal members. We have internships and different things where we bring tribal members in 
if their skill set is up to uh, what it needs to be for certain jobs. And then we also have a tribal hire or preference within our, our uh, companies as well. And for us, that means if we have a tribal member that is, meets all of the qualifications, that that tribal member uh, gets preference for that job, mm-hmm. even if there's a more qualified candidate. But the key to that is the tribal member has to have all the qualifications to begin with. If it's a jobs training program, we handle that mm-hmm. at tribal And that raises a really good point, you know, that distinction and separation between what, what are the government's responsibilities and what are the EDC's economic development company's responsibilities, um, which actually brings us then to the fourth pillar within the Harvard business model is that separation between the government and business development. It's really important that the government has so many things to worry about as it is, right? right. And, and being able to run a company in and of itself, just one company in and of itself is an everyday task, as you're well aware of as the CEO. But at the same time, separation, but working together, like you mentioned, hey, we've got this work program that the government runs, but obviously that then feeds into, we'll say back in the companies that you're purchasing or acquiring or whatever it may be. And so there's that really fine line though in between what the government's doing and what the EDC is doing. Because the government does still need to be involved to a certain extent, right? You know, we just talked about the strategic planning. You can't have the business have its own strategic plan that doesn't fit into what the tribe is looking at doing long term. Yeah, and that goes back to the governance and the cooperation between the board mm-hmm. and the council and the staff and the membership. So for us, our board is made up of seven members. Six of them are appointed by the tribal council, and then the seventh is the ex officio, so they're a tribal council member. And that is for us, Jamie Suck, he's the tribal council chair. And the other six are tribal members, tier preference members, and we have a requirement for at least one board seat to be filled by an independent outside person. And so we always want tribal members to be in control. So we weight the voting, uh, depending on how many tribal members are on the board, so that the tribal members always have a controlling vote. And then again, we have the tier preference and then the outside independent. And that independence purpose is just to offer a fresh perspective that maybe isn't connected to families within the tribe. And then by the ex officio tribal council sitting on our board, they are a non-voting member, but it's really helpful because Again, we were very clear that the board's job is to make good business decisions. And we can get into what their backgrounds need to be to do that. And another conversation, there's a lot to discuss here. <laughs> but the ex officio then can bring a consideration for a broader picture and what that means for the tribe. And so that's been hugely helpful to us because you can't totally divorce yourself from those that you're actually serving. Absolutely. And so um, he's done a really good job. Then he acts as a conduit to have taken information back and forth to the tribal council as a whole. So the tribal council, I also meet with them. I meet with my board of directors monthly, and I meet with the tribal council quarterly. And we go over things like um, progress to our five-year and our annual strategic plans and finances and that kind of thing. And then I also meet with the membership quarterly at the tribal council meeting to update them on what's going on. We are moving very quickly. We've grown from three subsidiaries to 11 in the last couple of years. Um, And our portfolio is very diverse. We we are in commercial real estate, federal operating businesses, and commercial operating businesses. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to really communicate to the membership council and the board uh, often and well, um, and not 
not just the good news, the bad news too, so that they can kind of keep up with what we're doing and support that because in the end, we're, you know, we really are supported by membership. Right. Yeah, and like you mentioned, a lot of stakeholders involved in those conversations, right? Like mm-hmm. you said, there's multiple meetings or many meetings, I should say, that you have on a regular basis with all of those stakeholders. And I kind of want to leave leave things there because it really plays well into next time we talk to you, we'd like to talk about that strategic planning. And as part of that, it is how do you get all those stakeholders involved in the conversation? And, and Deidre, you mentioned alignment a lot. How do you get all those stakeholders involved and how do you align them? And so, you know, next time we're going to really dive deep into that strategic planning process. Who are those stakeholders? What does it look like to get them involved? What's it's in place? You mentioned you talk to your your board and tribal council and your members about how you're doing compared to that strategic plan that you put in place. And so next time we're going to have a, a special guest with us, we hope, fingers crossed, that actually deals with tribes specifically focused on doing this strategic planning process. And so we're excited to, to hopefully have him join us next time. I've got nothing else. Deidre, any closing statements or remarks for us? I'm just really happy we're starting this dialogue. So thank you for inviting me. It's, it's much needed in Indian country, and I think it helps to share our stories. I think we can all learn from one another. So uh, we're hoping to provide enough detail to help other tribes out there get, get going on economic development. So Definitely. Well, we look forward to talking to all of you next time, and be sure to tune in for our next episode of Tribal Talk.